0: Anyone watching the Olympics? Anyone Olympic junkies? You know, just <laughs> you know, I knew that from your posts. <laughs> you knew the time they were starting, and I think you were counting down. It just a great opportunity to watch a number of sporting events. My my kids love it. We keep it on, and um, they don't really care for the interviews. It, it's all about the competition, especially with my boys. And those of you with boys can, can understand that. Went home Friday night, I guess it was, to see my kids in socks on the tile, doing all kinds of figure skating moves. It's a great thing. I'm a little worried what happens after they watch the um, slope-style snowboarding. <laughs> we may be doing flips off the couch and some other things. And so if you see a post this week saying we're at the hospital, that's why we've been enjoying the Olympics. But last night I was watching a little bit of of the Olympics and um, the women's moguls was on last night. I don't know if anyone saw that. Spoiler alert, you might hear a result this morning. But Hannah Kearney, the U.S. women's mogul um, skier, really went in expecting to win gold. She had won gold in the last Olympics. She had trained all year for this. and, And if you listen to the interviews, have you caught just what they say about training? This is their life. This was her life for four years. And and every day, hours and hours, and you train and you get the right equipment, all for this one moment, this one moment in time. And on her last run last night, when she was she was poised to get the gold... On her last run at the jump at the top of the mogul, she came down off the jump. She she jumped a little too high, a little too good. And she hit the mogul just off, and her right ski, or her left ski rather, went out about a foot. And it came back in. She did the rest of the run flawlessly. And that dropped her from gold to bronze. One little slip. And we'd think, man, if, if we won bronze in the Olympics, that would be fantastic. And she's in tears at the end. Because she had worked all year. And the question came up, and in this poignant moment where she is showing her emotion, the question came up, are you going to be back in four years? And she said, I wish I could. I'd go up there and race right now if I could, but I don't have four more years in me. I don't have four, and and what she meant was I don't have four years of daily training, of all the work, of all the effort, and what it takes to compete at an Olympic level, was more than she was willing to commit to for the next four years, as as, as um, she said, she was past her prime when it came to athletics. And it was interesting just to see her acknowledge the, the difficulty of the training and the challenge of the training. And this morning, we'd like to talk a little bit about being up for the task of walking with God and of serving God, and what kind of training does that take? What kind of work does it take? What kind of tools does it take? And the good news is, is we can be up for the task because we're not the ones that provide the strength for the task. And so Paul now comes to Timothy. And remember, we're at the end of Paul's life and he's writing his last book of, of that he wrote, Last Words to Timothy. And he's handing off his ministry to Timothy and his goal is that he would be trained, that he would be equipped that he would be ready to carry on Paul's ministry. Talk about uh, big shoes to fill. You're going to take over my ministry, Timothy. You're going to watch out for these churches. You're going to care for them. You're going to shepherd them and lead them. And last week, Don, do we have slides? Not yet. Okay. Then just pretend. Picture the slides from last week. Last week we talked a little bit about Paul's warning to Timothy of the false teachers that were coming in and the things that could distract, that could derail his ministry. And the issue there was who do they love? Self-love or God-love? And and last week the text really expanded on on the the results of loving yourself, of putting yourself at the center of your life. And we looked at those 18 different things that, that Paul mentioned were outcomes of a love of self. And Paul's message to Timothy last week was it's getting worse. And then a little tiny blurb at the end saying, but evil has a shelf life. God wins. And in this text, we continue that comparison against the false teachers and the life that Paul wants Timothy to lead, the strength that that Paul wants Timothy to have. And now we just get a little blurb about it's getting worse And this whole text today is much more encouraging as it talks about what will protect us from becoming like those evil teachers. Like the ones that were so consumed with self-love that they couldn't do anything else because they were trapped by it. And so Paul here gives us some, some, some steps, some things that we can do, like he gives Timothy to do, that will protect us from even going down that path. How do we stay the course? How do we become completely equipped and capable of doing God's work, of being noble vessels in a fallen, dark world? So turn with me to 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. And again, think of this as a continuation from the text from last week. And Paul will give us three protections to help us stay the course. Again, probably none of them new, but great reminders that he's giving Timothy Timothy, remember, remember, remember. And the first one is in verses 10 and 11. Let's read that together. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. And out of these verses, when Paul starts to, to think of Timothy and want to protect his son in the faith, the first thing that we see is Paul is talking about sharing his life with him. And if we're to be protected, the first point there is share your life with another, uh, another believer. Rather, Share your life with another believer. It not only helps growth, but it counters self-love corruption. It counters the self-love we talked about last week. Paul is bringing Timothy back to, you know what you've seen in me. You know what I've invested in you. Let's look a little closer at verse 10. It starts by saying, you, however, have followed my teaching. And that you, however, is is very specific wording to contrast Timothy with the false teachers that were full of self-love in the passage below, before. He's saying, yeah, these were the guys before that were loving self and are destined for destruction, but you are different. Timothy, I don't want you to go down that path. And he begins to talk about one of the reasons Timothy's different. You, however, have followed my life all those things come to his life have followed and the word for followed there is is not just to to follow it as we follow a newspaper or a blog feed or something like that it means to investigate closely and to copy to look at and to reproduce sometimes we use this word to talk about discipleship and that's what Paul is talking about here he's talking about discipleship some of you have NIV and it translates, you have known about my teachings. That, that's just not a helpful translation. This is why it's good to read verses in multiple translations to really understand what it's saying. Because it's not just a knowledge of, but it's a, a knowledge that affects actions. To pattern after. As a disciple to a master. And so Paul's telling Timothy, you're different because you've followed my leadership. Because I've discipled you. Then he goes to these eight different areas that he's discipled him in. And as we look at these eight areas, think in terms of what does this cover in life? Because Paul is trying to paint a picture of whole life discipleship. I'm sharing my life with you, not just a part, but I, I am your mentor, I am discipling you, and so I'm willing to open up every part of myself to you. In your notes, you see the little guy off to the right and running the race. Um, And some of the areas that Paul has, has invested in Timothy. The first that we read is, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my teaching. This is saying, look at what I say. Look at what I've taught and copy that. This refers to the whole body of teaching. Think about Timothy Timothy went with Paul in ministry to a number of locations. How many sermons of of Paul's has he heard? And as Paul went from city to city, he he probably repeated a number of doctrinal concepts. So Timothy's heard this over and over and over, and he knew what Paul taught. And he was learning as he listened. Not only that, but Paul's written him letters, like 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy helped Paul write a number of letters. So Paul's saying, look at what I say. But then the second thing he mentions is also look at my conduct. Follow my conduct. Look at what I do. And this is where we start to see Paul describing discipleship as much more than passing on some content, but in reality, passing on a life. And so he says, not only what I, what I say, but what I do. My way of life, it's sometimes translated. How he lived out his faith and teaching. Did he practice what he preached? Did he walk the talk? See, so Timothy heard what Paul said, and he got to compare it to what he did. Now that might scare some of us in discipleship, because that, that may call us into deeper accountability, praise God. But how powerful is that When someone teaches something and you see it practiced in their life. And so Paul is guarding Timothy and protecting Timothy by sharing his life with him. He goes on though. His teaching, his conduct, his aim in life. Look at what I say, look at what I do, look at what's important to me. What is my purpose, some translations use. And Paul's purpose was to show a single-minded commitment to Christ. His his joy was to share the Gospel, was to serve Christ, to glorify God. Listen to some of his words in Acts 24. Verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. That was his aim in life. And, And it's interesting because He specifically says it's not about self-love, it's about God-love. The struggle that we talked about last week. Philippians 1.21, familiar verse, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What was Paul's aim in life? To live for Christ. And Timothy saw that by living life with him. By living life together. is a, a challenging question. Do others know what's most important to us? Do others know my aim in life? Do we know what our aim in life? If you had to put it into one phrase, this is what I hope people understand my goal in life is, what would you put? Think about that for a minute. Because that, if we can't clear, clearly state that, then we're going in all kinds of different directions. Another way of sort of refining that in our our head is what would you want on your gravestone? If there was one phrase that you wanted written on your gravestone, what would it be? I pray mine is not he loved Dr. Pepper. (laughs) That might be true. It's not my aim in life. What do you want your aim in life to be remembered as? Paul used that to disciple Timothy. What drives you? So he's already said, look at my teaching, what I say. Look at my conduct, what I do. Look at, look at my aim in life, what's important to me. And now with that, he goes to some Christian virtues in the rest of the list. Look at my faith. My faith. My trust in God no matter what. A confidence that God is who He says He is I believe Him. He has given eternal life and I will give Him my life. It's a a complete faithfulness to God. We pass on faith with our life more than what we say. Parents, your kids will understand your heart for God more by what you do and how you talk about God and how your focus is on God than just your instruction to say, follow God. Timothy knew Paul's faith that through thick and thin, Paul was following God. Nothing could sway him from that. And a lot of things tried. Verse goes on and Paul goes on to say, you followed my patience. My patience forbearance. This gets real practical. Because that, what what the idea of patience, and this is a little bit of a different word for patience, but the idea is patience toward difficult people. A little bit later we'll get to circumstances, but patience towards people that annoy me. Paul had difficult people in his life. Paul had people attacking him. He had people saying things about him and persecuting him. And Paul has the guts to say, look at my attitude toward them. Look at my patience toward them. Could we say that? Could I say that all the time? I don't know. But that's where the rubber meets the road. This is where we put Christianity into practice. How do we treat people? How do we treat people we don't want to treat well? And Paul says, look at my patience. How could Timothy have known that? Because he lived life with Paul. They traveled together. Think about that for a minute. They traveled together for months on end. Think about all kinds of conflict that may come up when you have a a family vacation. Wonderful times, but when you're stuck in a car for 12 hours a day, for instance, on a road trip, it just brings up some more opportunities for grace, doesn't it? (laughs) Timothy traveled with Paul. He saw the real Paul. And it was patient. We talked about that a little bit last week because self-love takes away our patience. It makes us touchy. It makes us difficult people ourselves. And Paul says, look at my patience. Sixth one, look at my love. And this goes along with patience. It's paired with that. Patience, how I treat difficult people. Love, how I treat everybody. My attitude toward everybody. This can be, you know, sometimes this comes out, and especially if we're with somebody and behind the scenes with somebody, this can come out when when someone they're talking to or someone they're meeting with leaves. And what do they say after the person leaves? What do you say after you hang up a phone, after talking with somebody? That tends to be more of our true emotions, right? Because on the phone, we're like, oh, that's great. Have a great day. Oh, I, I, I'm so glad you called. We hang up and we're like, oh, my day is ruined. Can't believe they're dumping all their problems on me. There's the real self. And the real point of saying, do we love God or do we love self? Paul says, follow my love. Watch how I treat others and talk with them. Watch what I think of them when they're not around. The next one he mentions is my steadfastness. My steadfastness. Look at how I deal with difficult circumstances, Paul's saying. Look at how I deal with almost losing my life, with cities turning against me. Whereas patience dealt with people, steadfastness deals more with circumstances. Did Paul quit when he was faced with difficult circumstances? No, he kept going. That's steadfastness. And finally, the eighth one is my persecutions and sufferings. And really, this is an expansion of steadfastness And if we look at verse 11 there, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. And these are three of the cities that Paul went to on his first missionary journey. And actually Timothy is from Lystra. And so Timothy probably was familiar with what happened at Lystra. And in Antioch, we saw people turning against Paul and talking about Paul. Spreading rumors about Paul. They stirred up persecution, eventually drove Paul out of the city. At Iconium, we saw the same thing happening, but then they hatched this plot to stone Paul. So Paul hears about the plot. He and his his companions, they leave the city, and they go to Lystra. Now in Lystra, he's preaching the gospel, and it's not just a plot to stone him. They drag him out of the city. They stone him until they think he's dead. They leave him for dead. And he gets up the next day, it says, and continues ministry. The man was persecuted. The man had persecutions. He had sufferings. And especially in the city of Lystra, Timothy would have known about it. He would have seen that possibly. And so Paul's going back to the beginning of his relationship with Timothy and said, remember my life. This takes guts to point out these eight things. Because if you look at these eight things and sort of my point with the little man is they they represent an entire life. They represent every part of Paul's life. This is why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. It's not out of arrogance. It's not out of ego. It's because his focus was on Christ. His love was God and His kingdom first. And he says, copy that. And so in verse 11 there, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, more happened, but he's referring Timothy back to the ones at the beginning. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Now let's just talk about that phrase a little bit now, right now, because we get this idea that God is going to rescue us from anything bad that happens to us. Let me just ask, did God rescue Paul from what happened to him at Lystra? No, what happened to him at Lystra? He was stoned and left for dead. It's not a good day. And and Paul is saying, that still represents God rescuing me. It's It's a difference in thought of Paul saying, God is rescuing me through these things by helping me through these things. He's not preventing anything bad from happening to me. And there's teachers out there that say if you follow God, you'll have health and you'll have wealth and nothing bad will happen to you. If you get sick or if things happen, then you're you're sinning. And that is directly contrary to the Word of God. That is sinful false teaching and it is deceiving people in America. Paul says, I was nearly stoned. Or nearly dead. He was stoned. And I still say God rescued me through all these things. He's writing this as he's sitting in the bottom of a dungeon on death row. And he says, God has rescued me. Wow. Paul's actually quoting the psalmist here in Psalm thirty-four, nineteen, where we read, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Delivers them out of them all. And so these are examples of steadfastness through suffering, through persecutions. And I'm challenged because I want my persecutions and I want my difficult situations to stop. And I think God is only working when they do stop. That's not Paul's example. See, Paul realized that discipleship isn't just passing on information, it's passing on your life. Think about what that list represents. If someone was to invest every one of those things in you and let you see every one of those things in your life, that would have a huge impact on you. See, we, we, we have two aspects to these verses We have the Timothy aspect, right? That we should be looking for someone that we can see those things in. That we should be looking for someone, and it may even be a peer, but someone walking with God that we can share life with, that we can be open with, that we can see their life. And there's accountability in that. But then there's also the Paul aspect to this. Am I living in such a way that I'm okay with someone copying every one of those eight areas of my life? Many of you have been believers for a long time. And we should be Paul's raising up Timothy's. But unless we can get these eight areas down to where we can pass those on, it's going to be a struggle to raise up Timothy's that stay in the faith. It's a good list to put on the mirror. Say, how am I doing at those things today? But don't underestimate the power of accountability and discipleship to counter self-love. Remember, these are things that Paul is is trying to share with Timothy to protect him from going down the self-love path of the false teachers. And so many times we don't get into these kinds of relationships and and we don't for all kinds of reasons, but the reasons almost always come down to self-love. I don't have time. I don't want to open my life to anyone. That's invasive. That's inconvenient. But yet when I talk to men in the ministry and I talk to things that have have really been formational in their life, it almost always comes back to someone that invested these things in their life, that opened up their life. Do we want to raise a generation of Timothys here? Are we willing to count the cost and be Paul's? It's challenging. Don't underestimate the power of a mentor, of a discipler. So the first thing Paul says is share your life with another believer. It not only helps growth, but it counters self-love. Second point we see out of the text is to expect opposition. Opposition. It's a little bit of of what Paul was saying last week. Expect opposition. Pursuing a godly life will lead to trouble here and ultimate rescue in heaven. Starting again at the, the second half of verse 11, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that verse again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many people here would like to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I'm going to presume that's why you're here this morning. The message from, from God's Word is, congratulations, you will be persecuted. How many people still want to live now? <laughs> but Paul is preparing Timothy to expect opposition, to not be surprised when it comes and lose his faith and what am I doing wrong, but expect it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And he, then he says, this is why. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Literally, they'll progress, but their progression is in the wrong direction. Deceiving and being deceived. Now, now just a note here, in verse 12, the qualification, the condition here is all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus this doesn't mean that anytime anything happens woohoo! i'm living for god no, no, the, or anytime we're persecuted maybe for something we're doing wrong we can say okay this is great i'm following god no the condition is desiring to live a godly life in christ jesus following christ union with christ what was paul doing when he was persecuted in every one of those places Didn't hear what you said, but I'm going to assume you said preaching the gospel. (laughs) He was walking with God. He was desiring to live a godly life. He kept being persecuted because his aim was to preach the gospel and let people know their need for Jesus Christ. That's worth being persecuted for. Jesus said in John 15, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. We may not face the same persecution as Paul. And we know this, right? In America, not many of us have been taken out and stoned and told to leave Garden Grove. But we face persecution of a different sort, of, a, of an internal sort, with, per, with ridicule, with opposition, not necessarily through physical means. We saw some of this this week in the debate, didn't we? Between Bill Nye and, and um, Ken Ham. What were some of the things and, and some of the things that Bill Nye kept saying about Kinham? Ham? You're unreasonable. He thought he was ridiculous. Backwards. Bill Nye, and, and, and he's, he's, he's expressing a view that many unbelievers have. He said, the people that believe in God, the people of the church are are so backwards that they are holding America back from any progress. Now we can say, oh, that doesn't hurt. But when that worldview, when that mindset comes into play of how they deal with any Christian that they think is backwards and harming America because we happen to believe in a creator, that's significant. We are on the cusp of much more ridicule than we've ever had. I had an opportunity this this year to to debate some people about creation and evolution online. Some of the remarks, some of the things I was called unreasonable or ignorant, a fool, dishonest, because I would intentionally try to deceive people that there was a God. A moron, a religious halfwit. You seriously need help. Amen. (laughs) And I know where my help comes from. This is not far off. Paul says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't want to be persecuted. Self-love comes in and we'd sometimes rather compromise than be ridiculed. But see the description of those people in verse 13. While evil people and imposters, sometimes that's translated magicians. Remember the magicians in Pharaoh's court that we talked about last week? The false teachers who just have a pretense of religion and a pretense of spirituality? But evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. It's getting worse. Deceiving, but then the cycle is that they are then being deceived. They are trapped. They cannot get out of it. So Paul says, expect opposition, Timothy, as he's preparing his son for ministry. Share your life with another believer. Expect opposition. And then finally, number three, renew your passion to engage God's Word. Renew your passion to engage God's Word. It is the only essential tool for being a man or woman of God in this fallen world. It is the only essential tool for being a man and woman of God in this fallen world. Now I'm not saying it's the only tool. We have books and we have teaching and we have a number of things that help us. But God's Word is the only essential tool. If we're not in God's Word, we are not being prepared and equipped to handle this fallen world. Period. The other tools simply point us to God's Word. They help. But without God's Word, we have nothing. So we need to be passionate about God's Word. Last week, we saw how passionate people were about different sports teams. Found that out by going to a a Super Bowl party where there was an avid, passionate Seahawks fan. They were very happy. I was not. (laughs) It was fun, though. What if we took that kind of passion for God's Word? Let's read what Paul says to Timothy in verse 14. He starts by reminding him of his legacy in God's Word. But as for you, continue, or to stay with, to hold firmly to, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. And so Paul now directs Timothy. He's directed him to his example and to discipleship. He said persecutions will come, and now he directs him to the ultimate source of our equipping, God's Word. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. And he's referring there to his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, and probably to himself. Those were the three primary teaching agents in Timothy's life. And he says, don't forget what people have invested in you. Don't forget Scripture. So many times we learn Scripture and we learn God's Word as a child and then we think we outgrow it. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says, nobody ever outgrows Scripture the book widens and deepens with your years. It is so true. If we would take time and be in God's Word. Verse 15 goes on, and Paul's continuing this thought, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And in this case, the sacred writings here is, is a phrase that is often used in the Old Testament. Because from the age of five, and actually probably earlier in the home, but officially from the age of five, young men were taught the Old Testament. And his mother and his grandmother taught him. And then as a young man traveling with Paul, he was taught. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And even the Old Testament was used by God and it is an essential tool to see the need for salvation and to point Timothy to salvation because out of the Old Testament... We see the law and our complete inability to to live by the law. The law helps us know we are sinful and we need a Savior. And that's why Israel was looking for a Messiah. And so the whole Old Testament is building up to the Messiah. And Paul says, this led you to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, to salvation. Now, Now understand this. Scripture does not save us. Scripture points to who saves us. You can know Scripture backward and forward and not be saved. But does it point to Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Are we following Christ with our lives? But look at those two verses. Think about what Paul is saying. He's saying you have a legacy in God's Word that will help protect you, that will help you stand. From childhood. Moms and dads, this is a challenge to us. Are we teaching our children God's Word? Are you teaching God's Word? Because here's the thing it is your God given responsibility. It is your job. It is not this church's job to be the primary teaching agent of God's Word in your kids' life. That makes sense? This is not a place where you just send your kids and say they get their spiritual education here and then we come home and do whatever we want during the week. It's not what we're about. Because it's not biblical. The biblical model is that comes from mom and dad. The people like Paul that were investing these eight things. That's where it comes from. We as a church are supporting that. We are supplementing that. We are reinforcing that. Don't give up on your responsibility. Have your kids learned God's word in your home because that's where they're seeing your life and that's where there's power and it can happen all kinds of different ways we have read through a whole number of children's Bible stories and children's Bibles and now we're moving on to um, this year we're moving on to the ESV and there's been a number of passages that were like oh (laughs) we need to explain that (laughs) but they're going through God's word And they're understanding God's Word. And at Village, our goal as we go through our children's program of going through the Bible in three years, and every three years going back through the Bible, is to help them understand God's Word. To help you in your process of teaching it. But don't give up that responsibility. Find ways to teach your kids. In the last two verses, Paul reminds Timothy of the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word. Familiar verses, but let's read them together. Verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We see a wonderful passage here about God's Word and about the effectiveness of God's Word, about the power of God's Word. He says all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it starts by reminding us that every word in this book is God's very words. Every word is breathed out by God. Inspiration says that God directed every word to be written. It is exactly what He wanted written. It has the authority of God's Word because it is God's Word. We can go into a lot of verses on that and a lot of understanding of that doctrine. I encourage you to go back and and listen to our our series when we went through solas and we looked at sola scriptura and we looked at the, the importance of the inerrancy of God's Word. Because we as a church hold that God's Word is inerrant in every word, in every thought, and in the completeness of it. That we can't just pick and choose what we want out of it. We don't give out Bibles with whiteout. But every word is to be applied. I can't say that I like the part about others not gossiping, but I don't want to give up complaining. I can't say I like the part about eternal life, but don't make me turn the other cheek and deny my own life. I can't say I like the part about God's strength and then deny that it says I should stop lusting. It's not a pick-and-choose, choose-your-own-adventure. The entirety of it is God's Word. It's why we teach through books of the Bible here, so we don't skip and we don't pick-and-choose. Barnhouse said, this book does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. That's a huge thing to understand when we talk about our commitment to God's Word. See, we struggle with this. We struggle with being in God's Word every day and studying God's Word every day. And again, I I would argue that that is a self-love issue. If I'm not in this every day, it's because I don't believe I need this every day. We need to move it from something that's good or convenient to something that's essential. Do I depend on this every day? And if I don't think I need this every day, that means I think I can handle life on my own without God. And we don't say that, but that's what we're believing when we're not in God's Word. And we've got to change how we think about this book. Verse 16 goes on to say what the Bible, what God's Word is profitable for. See, it's not just that, oh, I'm forced out of duty to be in God's Word, but it is It is essential to my life. It's profitable. It's It's what God uses to equip me. And he lists the four things, and we've talked about these before, for teaching. What does the passage teach me? This is the source of all Christian doctrine. It's the source of all truth. Sometimes we, we try to make other things the source and we're looking at situations like, well, how do I feel about this situation? Or, you know, I just need peace on this situation. No, we need to follow God's word in the situation, whether we have peace about it or not. Teaching. For reproof, which is the idea of rebuking, of of being challenged when we're wrong think if you were driving a car and you were driving along and driving out of Hume Lake there's these cliffs you're driving along and let's just say you're driving toward the edge of a cliff and you're going to go off the cliff with a bunch of youth in you know no youth in the car reproof would say stop this is wrong you're about to die god's word stops us when we're on the wrong path stops us when we're wrong the next one, the third one in First Timothy 3.16 says correction. And the idea there is rebuke says I'm on the wrong path. Correction says how to get back on the right path. So the two go together. It, praise God that his word brings us back to truth. The word there has the idea of restoration. When we have sinned, when we have fallen and, and opposed God, correction there brings us back to the right path but restores us to a relationship with God. And then the fourth one there is instruction in righteousness. Instruction in godliness. How to live a godly, holy life. And so these these help us understand how essential God's Word is for us. For teaching, for understanding truth, for, for rebuke, for knowing when we've strayed, for correction to bring us back on the right path, for instruction in righteousness to stay on the right path and what that path should look like. This is the manual for how to live for God. And it gets dusty sometimes when we ignore it. And Paul is saying, Timothy, if you are going to be protected from going down the self-love pathway for the false teachers, you must be in God's Word. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete or competent in some versions, equipped for every good work. That's a powerful verse that brings us back to what does God want us to do with our lives? What is our aim? It's to serve Him, to walk with Him. And you have two different ideas there. Complete means to be fitted for a function, to be capable, that you have the skills. How do you get the skills? God's Word. Equipped is that you have the tools. So do you see the the difference? One is the ability, one is the tools to do that. And what this is saying is God's Word gives you everything you need to walk with Him. It gives you everything you need to serve Him. It is the only essential tool in our arsenal to walk with God. And so Paul presents Timothy as a man of God, fully prepared and equipped to do God's work. And he's done that by sharing his life with him, by warning of what's coming, saying expect opposition, and third, saying engage Scripture. Don't forget Scripture. Renew your love for Scripture. I challenge you this week and every week after, be in God's Word. You cannot live for God without it. Period. You can't. And so if we're going to be protected, if we're going to pass on our faith, be in God's Let's pray. Lord God, our Father. Lord, confront self-love in us and bring us to a love of You. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to take these steps that Paul is challenging Timothy to make sure there's people in our lives that are loving You, that are holding us accountable, that we can look to, that we can be for others. Lord, that we are enduring through persecution and that we are completely committed and devoted to your word because we see it as essential to life. Lord, I, 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 as I hear Paul writing, as I hear your Holy Spirit writing, I hear the urgency behind this passage. The passion behind this passage. Because you want your children so much to love you and love. I pray that we would be these people. We would be committed to these things. In Jesus' name.